Oh, okay. So I do have something I want to talk about. Go for it. So I haven't watched shows like The Voice or American Idol in a while just because it, it gets kind of repetitive. Yep. But I saw a commercial the other day. Mm-hmm. And Nick Jonas is going to be a judge on, on The, the voice. voice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so now I have to watch it. So now you have to watch it. Now I have to watch it because my should-be husband is Jesus. <laughs> my should-be husband is a judge on the voice so i have to watch it now i mean yeah what else are you gonna do ignore it <sighs> you know i could <laughs> but i'm not going to no Oh, so uh, you remember that episode where I said fiocking? <laughs> Goofy, yes. Turns out I say that shit now. You do? I was on my way home. I don't remember where I was. Oh, last week, I think. And this truck was like backing into their driveway, but they were doing it very slow, going so slow. Mm-hmm. And... I said, fiuck, dude, come on. <laughs> and then I was dude. like, I just said, fiuck. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, now. Now, on to what have you got? Okay, close your eyes. Alright, I bought something from Goodwill. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Open. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a rubber chicken bitches Uh i saw him and i was like i need it it was 3.99 rachel 3.99 i love him i'm surprised that we don't have a dog at my door they're outside okay Because they would just love that noise. Cora loves it too. But I saw this and I was like, I never thought that I would see one in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited. It doesn't work all the way. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like it, when you press it down, it like. <laughs> oh, now it's working Now fine. it's working fine. No, but yeah. like. Okay, apparently it works great here, but when you, like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, you just made me (laughs) No, look, so when you squeeze it at certain points, it, like, stops halfway and then goes... (laughs) And then it just goes... Just a... (laughs) (laughs) that uh that stupid freaking chicken but yeah um i just wanted to bring that i thought you'd appreciate it i do appreciate it but i also don't (laughs) i know yeah you want to give it a squeeze sure (laughs) she got it (laughs) jesus yeah. <laughs> That's it. So it's it's, it's just wee. It's wheezing. Yeah, it's like uh the pig the 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 penguin from Toy Story. Oh. All right. Okay. Um. Um. Hey, I'm Rachel. That's Grace. I'm Grace. That's Rachel. Welcome. Well, Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> Wait, who's introducing us lines. this week? Uh, we are. Yeah, we're myths. <laughs> we're myths and misfortunes. We are myths. We are only myths. Misfortune. <laughs> myths. 
Um, we are a paranormal and true crime podcast. Each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or surrounding areas like today with my story. Yeah. I chose a very specific story for this episode and Rachel had to find something. Like, okay, guys, it was so specific that when I searched crime or murder, yeah, this city, that's the only thing that popped up. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to tell you why in the history. My sources for the history are Wikipedia, FranceVoyage.com, and InformationForAnts.com. The form, er, formerly County of Gévaudan. Gévaudan? Gévaudan. Oh, Gévaudan. 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 It's a department in France. It was created in 1790 during the French Revolution when France was divided into departments, which replaced provinces. Luzer was famed. Luzer. I am so sorry. It's so great. Uh, Luzer was formed with part of the old province of Languedoc. <laughs> Languedoc. Languedoc. Long. Yeah. Languedoc. Spelled L A N G U E D O C. I Googled it. It's oh. Languedoc. I was going to say Languedoc? Languedoc. Right. Languedoc. Languedoc. <laughs> All right. The geography of Lozère is complicated. It has four different mountain ranges. In the northwest, there is the Albrac, which is between 3,200 feet and 4,700 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has, like, cold climate. The north and northeast um, has the Marguerite Mountains. Um, I have margaritas on the brain. Marguerite. I don't even know if I said that right, but I, I googled it and nobody told me if I was right. Okay. So. Because I heard margarita, so. Yeah. But they have peaks between 3,280 feet and 5,090 feet mm -hmm. tall. So, cool. Also cold there. Less snow. So, the coast, which is spelled C-A-U-S-S-E-S, -S -S, so it's like coast without a T. There are a series of dry limestone plateaus in the southwest and the southeast contains the Cévennes, which include the highest point in the department, which is Mount Lozère, at 5,584 feet. Uh, the department also contains a bunch of rivers above and below ground, um, including the Tarn, which uh, the source is Mount Lazar. Yeah. Or Mont Lazar. Mont. Mont. The main activities are cattle farming and tourism because the soil is way too poor for any agricultural farming. Mm hmm. So uh, if you've heard of Aubrac beef, that's where it's from. I have not. I hadn't sure. until I Googled this. Okay. <laughs> so the region has the lowest rates of unemployment in France which is likely attributed to the fact that uh, most of the young people emigrate to cities like Lyon, Marseille, and Marseille, Marseille, and Montpellier. Montpellier? Yeah, when they're old enough to work. Okay. Um, which might contribute to the fact that Lozère is the least populated department of France, which is why you don't get that many murders. All right, so it's a super safe place. Well... Mm, sure. In fact, only 0.5% uh, of the department is roads and buildings, with 43% of it being forest. Cool. Um, so why are there no, like... I was about to say, why are there no monster stories? But I feel like that's your story this week, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I did say Jevedon earlier, yeah. so... <laughs> but there's still a lot for tourists to do. Activities include going to caves like Spelunking. Spelunking, yeah. Spelunking, okay. And a lot of sports like skiing and kayaking. Luzerre is also considered one of the best areas in France for trout fishing. Ooh. And you can visit the Cévennes National Park and the Gévaudan Park that has over 130 wolves living in semi-freedom on a bunch of acres of wood wooded land. They come from Mongolia, Poland, Canada, and Siberia. Is that the place where they have, like, just a bunch of wolves that you can go and cuddle? You can't cuddle them. Uh... You can take guided tours of the park with a specialist and walk along the trail with observation areas. And you can learn about the wolves, uh, which are now a protected species. Aww. 
Uh, and that is my super short story on Luzer, France. Luzer. Luzer. You're a Luzer. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, as Grace just said in the history, very small department? Department. Very small department, so relatively safe. Hard to find murder or a lot of big crime. Yeah, hard to find a lot of notable crime. Yeah. So, therefore, I went roughly six hours away (laughs) to (sighs) Patty. Oh, yes. And my story is The Vampire of Paris. (gasps) Oh, no. What? My sources are Murderpedia, UnsolvedMysteries.com, RealLifeVillains.Fandom.com. All right. TheVampireProject.Blogspot.com, Ranker.com, HyenaGallery.com, and RealLifeIsHorror.Blogspot.com. <laughs> I you say Real Life is Horrible. And I was about to be like, yeah. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Real Life is great. Nicholas Clough was born on March 22nd, 1972, in the African nation of Cameroon. Oh, interesting. His father was a French citizen who had a job with a bank, which forced the family to move to foreign countries for long periods of time. Okay. Nicholas had no siblings and only a few friends to play with, which obviously moving did not help. Yeah. So, you know, he was he was very lonely. While his parents were very kind people who gave him everything that he needed, he felt that the bond that most children have with their parents, mm-hmm. he felt he didn't have that with him. Oh. Like, he didn't have that at all with him. They never hugged him or kissed him or showed him any kind of emotions whatsoever. And this led to him really not developing correctly. Oh. Because, you know, especially as a child, you need a lot of physical attention from your parents. He confessed to having a hard time feeling empathy for others, and he really only felt indifference. So (laughs) empathy is something that you have to have as a human, unfortunately. Yeah, kind of sucks. When he was 10 years old, his grandfather passed away as a result of cerebral ableism. He had a stroke. Okay. Apparently, the two had been arguing at the time, and Nico believed that his family blamed him for his grandfather's death. Oh. Which is a lot of pressure to put on a 10-year-old. Yeah, kind of. Especially when, you know, as a 10-year-old, you do tend to argue with people. Yeah. It happens. I was a dick when I was 10. (laughs) I mean... I don't remember that. I mean... I don't remember that. (laughs) Actually, at this point in time is... This is when he claims that he literally became super obsessed with death. Death. Ugh. And did he occult. see him die? I don't know. Or just have the stroke? I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say after death? And the occult. Oh, fine. Yeah, always a fun combination. I mean, that could describe us. That I mean, really, yeah. <laughs> he would spend hours reading books on vampires and werewolves, which mm, that's... Fair. Very normal for a 10-year-old. Like you said, fair. Yeah. (laughs) We read that stuff well into high school, even after high school. Today. (laughs) Today, yeah. But he also says that he was super fascinated with burial rites, wakes, and just the atmosphere of morgues. Ooh, cannot relate. Cannot. Oh, no. Morgues are so freaking creepy. Oh, my God. I'm always so terrified that one's going to come, like, shooting out of the thing. Like, I understand funerals and the grieving process people have to have, but I hate funerals. Like, funerals, I'm so terrified that... That the body is just going to sit up. Yeah. Exactly. (sighs) Okay. At 12, he and his parents moved to Lisbon, Portugal, where they stayed for four years due to his less than normal obsessions. (laughs) Predilections. Well, yeah. He had some issues making friends once they were moved and even further isolated himself from people. He became even more lonely lonely, 
and began to feel just utter hatred for literally everyone around him. I mean, who doesn't want to have a best friend obsessed with, like, death and funerals and morgues? <laughs> you yeah, know? right? I mean... Look, we all want the vampire best friend, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm it- really pale, so... <laughs> You're close Valid, enough. Yeah. At 16, he and his family finally moved back to Paris, where he proceeded to live alone with his father. Father. I'm not entirely sure why. It doesn't like nothing I found really went into it. Before too long, he knew every single cemetery in Paris like the back of his hand. Okay. Between 1990 and 1993. He spent the majority of his free time in graveyards. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Not only that, he would frequently examine the rusty locks on mausoleums. Oh. And the weight of cement lids. Oh. You know, those ones that are mausoleums, but yeah. they aren't. You just lift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Um. He... he he loved mausoleums. They're pretty cool. I mean, they are. They're Not super gonna cool. Lie, but, like, okay, um, he would sneak into the into windows if they had them. Some of them are decorated with furniture, paintings, and statues. I literally did not know that. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you know, not too bad of an idea. Yeah. I mean, especially. I mean, it's extremely disrespectful to the family. Oh yeah, very. But. Kind of cool. I actually didn't think about this until just now. If the family is still alive and they go to visit the mausoleum, they go mm. to visit their family members, of course it would have furniture. Yeah, fair. Paintings, mm-hmm. statues, somewhere for you to chill out, maybe talk to mom, dad that passed away. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I kind of get that a little bit, but also that is so freaking cool. Yeah, let's just go hang out in a mausoleum. Here I am making fun of this guy. It <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> let's not, though. Eventually, he started to make his own lockpicking tools, and his favorite was an L-shaped key, which, not going to lie, I do love the L-shaped keys. I was just about to say, I'm very interested in lockpicking. <laughs> um, we're going down d- a dark path, Rachel. Grace, do not mimic. <laughs> Why would I mimic? Okay, keep going. If the lock of an old mausoleum was too rusty, he would then use a crowbar or break in through a window. Mm. Once inside, he, I'm going to say this, he's quoting, he felt like an emperor reigning in hell. What the fuck? (laughs) Yes. Okay. He would also often enter into the mausoleum during the daytime, only to emerge at night. Where he could continue his activities without the fear of being discovered. I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Over time, he decided that simply breaking in was not enough to satisfy his desires. Oh god. He simply woke up one day with the sinister urge to dig up a corpse and mutilate it. No! He prepared a toolkit consisting of a small crowbar, a pair of pliers, a screwdriver, black candles, and a pair of surgical gloves. He then took the subway to Trocadero. If I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. I am 100% (laughs) sure you said that wrong. Uh, I'm not even sure what it could be. I think I wrote it without the accents, which I should never do. We took French in high school, guys. (laughs) It really stuck, as you can tell. Well, it sticks if I remember to put the accents in. (laughs) Nah. Okay. He then took the subway to Trocadero Station and arrived at the gates of Passe Cemetery at about noon. Mm. So, this specific cemetery is... Very gothic. Okay. In nature, with several large mausoleums that had been built during the 19th century. Okay. It is located between two large avenues, which makes it very difficult to climb into at night. 
Thus, his breaking in in the middle of the day, the day, when everyone is at lunch, no one would even suspect it. Yeah, that's true. Nobody thinks, hmm, somebody's going to break into this place. Especially in broad daylight. Right. Yeah. So, he chose a small mausoleum that was kind of buried deep in the ground. Mm. It apparently had belonged to a family of Russian immigrants from the 1917 revolution. Oh. He spent more than an hour removing, after breaking in, he spent more than an hour removing one of the coffins from the stone casing, being careful not to let it drop to the floor. So I'm assuming it was pretty high up. Yeah. Like it actually scratched his leg, like the yeah. calf, as it was coming down. Because he didn't want to just drop it because then... Then it would shatter. Yeah. yeah. According to Claw, the coffin looked brand new. Oh. So he was expecting a fairly recently deceased corpse. However, when he pried open the coffin lid, that wasn't really the case. Oh, God. It was an old woman who was kind of halfway through the process of decaying. Oh, no. And uh, that's as far as I'm going to go because that was kind of really gruesome. The way that he described it, like. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Did he do something to her? He picked up the screwdriver he brought and proceeded to stab the corpse's belly, shoulder, Uh, and rib area roughly 50 times. 50? 50. Just. I'm sorry. I don't know if you've ever stabbed anything, but it takes quite a bit of effort. He apparently blacked out afterwards. Okay. And when he woke up, he had... The wonderful, lovely slime from a decaying. Oh, God. Okay. Like, all up and down. So, yeah. So, I guess it wasn't super hard if she was already decaying. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. After this first desecration of a grave, he spent a lot of his free time looking for new graves to do the exact same thing to. The smell didn't bother him? No. Like, at first... First, uh, he, he, it spelled, your smelled dress mainly, is so loud. Huh? Your dress is so loud. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm still in my dress that I went to at, a, at the wedding. <laughs> the wedding. As the if they wedding. know what that's. We got married. <laughs> um, just like my grandma asked about, oh my God. Your grandma's psychic. Jesus. I love you. No. No. <laughs> no thanks. No. You're great and all. You would but kill me. I'd lose my mind. You'd lose your mind too. I'm annoyed. Yes. <laughs> we both would. Okay. Anyway, he spent a lot of his free time looking for new graves to do exact same thing too. Yeah. So shifting just a little bit, because during the same time he took a job in the military as a gunsmith however after a couple of months six months to maybe a year he started to consider a job as a mortician okay however when the only school for embalming rejected his application oh he began working i'm saying (laughs) why did you say all i don't know (laughs) Because we all know what it's like to be rejected. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There's that empathy. Yeah, there it is that he doesn't have. Oh. Okay. Uh, He began working at the St. Vincent de Paul Hospital in Paris, Hmm. which was predominantly a children's hospital. His first contact with a fresh corpse was at the morgue and was that of a 10-year-old girl. Mm. He was, in turn, showed how to stitch up a person after the autopsy and whatnot. He was apparently astounded by how red and clean her organs were. Mm. Which, one, weird. Two. Clean? Yeah, clean. Two, she's 10. Yeah. Hopefully, 
you know, she wouldn't have as much wear and tear on her organs as, say, the 70 to 90 year old half rotten corpse you are used to digging up. Okay. (laughs) Okay, fair. (laughs) However, um, still kind of not normal. Yeah. 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 He didn't stay at the Children's Hospital for long, though. And in December of 1993, same year, I believe. I believe same year. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I didn't write the year in my notes, but I'm pretty sure it's the same year. Like, he started early in the year at the Children's Hospital. In December of 1993, he took a position as a morgue attendant and stretcher bearer at St. Joseph Hospital, which is also in Paris. His duties included helping with autopsies, cleaning the morgue slabs, and preparing bodies for wakes. While he didn't do all of the morgue work, he was often left alone with the bodies in order to stitch them up. Yeah. It was... (laughs) It was at this point that he began to indulge in another desire of his. Oh, no. He began to eat strips of muscle (gasps) from the bodies. That is not the direction I thought you were going. However, he was sure to check their medical records to ensure that their meat wasn't too old. According to a butcher he spoke to once, meat is apparently better three or four days after death. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. um, hmm. This part is even more, uh... He would sometimes bring the strips home to be cooked and ate. However, he preferred to eat them raw. No. He stated that they tasted like tartar steak or carapaccio. 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 Um, which I've never had either of those, and now I probably never will. Blade my face. <laughs> oh my god. Um... This, that's not, yeah, that's not all. His other job at the hospital was delivering blood bags from the hospital's blood bank to the surgery rooms. Oh, no. He claimed that it was not unusual for bags to be left over after surgeries and that he would rip the stickers off the bags to make it seem as if they had been used and then hid the blood in his locker. No! He would then transfer those bags to his backpack at the end of his shift and take it home to chill in his fridge. No! Once the blood was at the appropriate temperature for him, oh, geez. he would make himself a Bloody Mary protein shake <laughs> out of... <laughs> sorry. Out of bagged blood... And protein powder or human ashes. <laughs> Literal tears. I. Yeah. Bloody Mary. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I had to Bloody Mary protein shake because as soon as I saw that, I was like, mm, yeah, okay. Uh, this went on for a year without no one noticing. I'm sorry, but that is a quality pun. He didn't even realize. That's not what he called it. That's what I called it. What did he call it? He didn't call it anything. Uh, okay, well, quality pun, Rachel. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, oh, man. All right. On October 4th, 1994, he decided again that he needed a change of pace, and it was time to turn another desire into reality. He's got too many desires. Cut him off at two, he really dude. Does. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. He spent most of his morning searching for a victim. No. According to him, nothing mattered. Not age, race, sex, anything. Then why'd he spend so long trying to pick one out? Just opportunity? Yeah. Okay. He wasn't coming up with a whole lot, so finally he decided to try something called Minitol, which was apparently an early version of the internet. Oh. Yeah. And apparently soon began speaking to a man named Thierry about bondage and S&M. After a short while of speaking, like literally the same day, 
They decided to meet up, and the guy he was speaking to gave him his address. Oh. Oh, dear. The two agreed to meet at noon. However, I'm assuming we all know where this is going. Oh, jeez. He concealed a twenty-two caliber handgun under his jacket. That's not how I thought he would do it. Before leaving to go to this guy's house. Once he arrived at the address he was given, he knocked on the front door and gave the... He gave this guy a fake name. Uh (sighs) Uh-huh. When the door opened, Claus stepped inside and quickly pulled out the handgun, pointing it at Fairy while he was closing the door. After a few awkward moments of Thary staring the gun down, Claw pulled the trigger and Thary fell face down on the floor. Awkward moments. Yeah. Awkward moments. And as if shooting someone and trying to kill them in cold blood wasn't enough, he then proceeded to just wander the apartment. He just wandered around it. Oh. He just wandered the apartment. He didn't take anything at first. He was just aimlessly walking, being nosy, seeing what the guy had. And when he returned to the body, expecting, you know, poor Thary to be dead. Yeah. No. He was still alive, struggling to breathe. Oh. Uh, that first bullet had entered in through his eyeball <gasps> and stopped just short of the brain. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Claw then reloaded the gun and shot poor Thary in the back of the head several oh, times. Jesus. Despite this, Thary, he's a trooper. He was still hanging on. Oh, man. Like he was, he was at the brink of death and he was still hanging on and i guess for some reason he wanted to make Thary suffer because he then left him still struggling to breathe and you know bleeding out all over on the floor to go in the kitchen eat some cookies what the fuck yeah so you know what i'll give you a minute <laughs> i'm just gonna give you a minute you just chill out right there for a minute yeah, i'm gonna go I'm grab a, a snack i'm you a let little me peckish let me go Do you want a cookie? You're good. Okay, yeah, I'll be right back. After his snack break, he decided it was finally time to get out of there as quickly as possible. Because, you know, several gunshots later. I, I. He shot Thary once more in the back. Uh Uh-huh. And that is what finally killed him because it went through his heart. Before taking a potted plant and smashing his head in. What the fuck? He then wiped away his fingerprints from anything that he had touched, grabbed Thary's checkbook, credit cards, wallet, license, an alarm clock, and an answering machine, and finally left. He's like, oh, hey, I've been looking for a new one of these. Let me just take it with me. Yeah, the it's an odd combination of things, and honestly, only because of the answering machine and alarm clock, I'm assuming robbery. Well, and the checkbook and credit cards, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. To make it look like a robbery. Poor Thary. He was left in his apartment for three days before his... None of his neighbors heard the gunshots? Mm -mm. His parents, who were so distraught about not being able to get in touch with him, Mm. were the ones who went to the apartment and found him. shit. One of the first investigators on the scene was... Brigade criminal investigator Gilbert Thiel. As shocking as the murder appeared, this did not phase the investigator at all. Thary was apparently one of many homosexual men who had been murdered every year in Paris. Huh. In fact, in October 1994 alone, there had been seven other oh identical cases. Yeah. Jesus. Now, because there were so many cases, Clow could have gotten away with this. Yeah. Only he tried to use one of those checks. Of course. See, this is exactly this, what I told you yeah. last week. This is why you don't take the check. Yeah. Well, apparently, 
The clerk asked to see picture identification, which, you know, you do have to do for checks. Mm -hmm. Claw attempted at forging the ID by pasting his picture on top of the picture on the ID. Oh, dear. However, that's not what the clerk caught. The clerk caught on because the signatures didn't match on the check and the driver's license. Hmm. However... Claw fled before the police arrived. Jesus. But they now had the picture of Therry's killer. He left it he behind? He left the, yes. He left wow. the ID with his picture on it behind. Wow. A month later from the actual shooting, Nicholas Claw was arrested in front of the Moulin Rouge Cabaret following an altercation with a woman there. Oh. He had, of course, been recognized from his photo he so stupidly left behind. And at this point, confessed to everything. Wow. Literally everything. Everything I told you was from his confession. The police didn't even know any of this was happening. He just decided to offer up that information? Uh-huh. Oh, dear. So, the murder investigation focused mainly on motive. Right. There was seemingly no motive, and they just... They wanted to find out why. Yeah. He was sent to a jail just south of Paris called Fleury Merogis to await his trial. For the next two years, a court-ordered team of specialized psychiatrists and psychologists examined him. Dozens of tests were made and ran in which it was determined that Claw suffered from borderline psychotic personality disorder, as well as necrophilia, sexual sadism, and schizophrenia. However, Sexual sadism, though? Sexual sadism. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were no signs of any psychic or neuropsychic disorders, which we'll get into that. Nicholas Claw's trial began on May 9th, 1997. The prosecution charged that Claw had killed Thierry voluntarily, feeling that he acknowledged it and that it was premeditated. As a side note, you wiped away your fingerprints. Yeah. Left no trace for this being a first kill crime of passion. Yeah. Yeah. It was premeditated. For sure. He literally went there with a gun. Yes. Well... Carrying a gun, not so much, because if you're doing it to protect yourself. But he specifically went there to hang out with this person. Yes. Literally looked at, walked right into the door, pulled out a gun. Yeah. But that's what he said, so. The prosecution then tried to establish that Theory was one in many murders that Claw had committed in 1994. They claimed that he was a death addict, which, by his own admission... He was, and a real-life vampire. According to the two main investigators on his case, he fit the psychological profile of a serial killer. So, while there was no proof that he committed all of the homosexual murders in 1994, there was probability in their books. But there was not enough physical evidence. Right. So, back to that whole psych... Not having psychosis, whatever it was. Not having psychic or neuropsychic disorder. Yeah. Due to them diagnose, due to the psychiatrist diagnosing him with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. they believed that he had a complete and total loss of reality, and could benefit from Rule Two Forty Two, which concerned diminished responsibility. Due to his inability to control his impulses. Mm. So he's saying that Claw is not responsible for what he did because he couldn't control it. Okay. That it's something. Okay. I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Like, I understand because, um, you know, that episode of um, that one Morgan Freeman show. There's a few. No, the one on Netflix. Oh, the truth. Truth of God or something. Yeah, where he interviewed that serial oh, killer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said um, that guy recognized, like, what he did was wrong and everything. And he was like, I literally just could not control myself. I had that impulse and I had to do it. Yeah. I, yeah, I can kind of see 
that. I, yeah, I mean, I see it too. However, I still feel like you were responsible for your actions. Definitely, yes. Okay, so. The jurors deliberated for three hours before Claw was found guilty of premeditated murder, armed robbery, fraudulent use of a bank check, falsification of a driver's license photo. Badly. <laughs> And an attempt to defraud the retailer of the VCR video camera. It They weren't sure exactly what he was trying to write the check for. Oh. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. That's it? That is it. For the murder of a man. That is it. Did they have like a maximum sentence they were allowed to impose? Is that it? I don't know. But he was just... I actually saw on um Reddit... No one really talked about it, but there was a lot of jokes being made like, oh, yeah, you can kill someone and get only 12 years in prison. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's... Yeah. It is during his time in prison that he starts honing in on his art skills. He has several disturbing pieces, all of which are very popular. He also learned a lot about computer programming, which he later used to help promote his art. He also apparently wrote two infamous serial killers while he was in prison, as well as authoring books under a pen name. Yes, I see you looking at those arts. Oh my god. They're kind of disturbing, right? He's got one called Pregnant Autopsy. Uh-huh. Yep. $375? Mm-hmm. After seven years and four months... He was released from prison on March 22nd, 2002. Insane. And he is still free today. Honestly, I hope he got the psychological help that he needs. But he is apparently living. He has a girlfriend. Like, I assume he's living. The last website I read, which was from, like, 2008, said he has mm -hmm. a girlfriend that he's living with. <laughs> what the fuck? I think he's been doing portraits of killers of killers yeah he's got the rail killer and the gainesville ripper on here well if you remember i just said that he was writing to serial killers yeah well he's like done their portraits and shit oh well, that's creepy that's now i didn't actually look into the actual pictures though. that's terrifying i'm not happy uh, yes so but that is my story of the vampire of paris Moving on from that deeply, deeply disturbing story. Yes. Today, I'm doing The Beast of Gévaudan. The Beast of Gévaudan. Yes. Oh, la Bête. La Bête. Right. La Bête du Gévaudan. La Bête du Gévaudan. Alright, so my sources are... Um, episode 71 of Lore, titled Silver Lining. Look at you listening to podcasts for your Well, I've listened to that episode many times already. So. Yeah. Uh, also, Wikipedia, nationalgeographic.org, allthatsinteresting.com, publicdomainreview.org, uh, an episode of Stuff You Missed in Hip History Class. I'm Hipster. sorry. I thought you were going to say Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a minute. <laughs> I don't no. know why. Uh, an episode of Teen Wolf. No, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I would believe that, though. Uh, CRWflags.com. Um, the Beast of Gévaudan actually is in, like, there's a whole season about the Beast of Gévaudan. And... In Teen Wolf. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Are they assuming it's a werewolf? Yeah. It's Teen Wolf. I know. <laughs> well, actually, it's like a very specific type of werewolf, like an original type of werewolf that like drank water out of a uh, um, a paw print left behind by a wolf. Oh, gotcha. That's odd mythology, but sure. Well, that's like classic mythology. Mythology, yeah. yeah. Um, I like the one where werewolves leave fish on the house of hungry peasants. Well, <laughs> that's sweeter. I know. Than this. The people of France in the 18th century were pretty used to wolf attacks. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't anything rare. But in Gévaudan in the 1760s, something changed. The attacks became a lot more violent, more gruesome. Mm. Um, 
it's really rare for wolves to go like out of their way to attack humans. They usually avoid us at all costs. Yeah. Um, and hunting alone is super atypical. Like, not that's yeah, not good. But a lot of the victims during this time were seemingly attacked by a single animal each time, in broad daylight, mm. and they had their throats torn out, and were often nearly decapitated. Da Vinci agrees. That's what he would do, too. Some people feared that it wasn't a wolf at all. Mm -hmm. Some suspected a monster that was even bigger, scarier. Some said it was a a mega wolf. Mega wolf. Um, Some said it was a demon. One priest even said that it was sent from God to punish them. Yes. So let's get into it. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Yay. Next sentence. On June 30th, 1764, a 14-year-old girl named Jeanne Belay was watching over her family's cattle when she was mauled to death. Not yay. Not yay. A month later, on August 8th, a 15-year-old girl was torn to pieces. No. A few weeks later, a 16-year-old boy was found dead in the fields where he was working. Why are they teenagers? You'll get to it. Yeah. Okay. In September 1764, there were four more deaths. Well, you know what? I'll just go ahead. All of the victims attacked by this animal were all young or they were women. Young or women. So, yes. male in his 40s? <laughs> hmm. So. 40s? 50s? Where was I? All right. In September of 1764, there were four more deaths, three children, and a 36-year-old woman. Oh. Her death was almost more terrifying than the others because it happened right outside her house. Oh, no. Up until that point, all the attacks were in locations where the victims were alone and further away from villages. In October, four months after the attacks began, three more children were mauled by the creature and two of them died. On October 7th, a woman was actually decapitated. Oh. Her body was discovered the same day, but it took them over a week to find her head. Ooh. So it just, like, took it with it? Yeah. No. Yeah. So in France, people living in large cities like Paris or Versailles didn't believe in werewolves anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case for people living farther out in the country. (laughs) Especially not after animal attacks like these yeah they had stopped calling it a beast and referred to it as the beast or la bête they also called it lugaru or the wolfman so in late october a former captain in the french cavalry named jean baptiste duhamel 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 Duhamel. rode to jevedon along with basically a miniature army Yeah. He and his army would move from village to village, setting traps for the beast. In some places, they would build scarecrows filled with human blood and poison, hoping that it would be like blood. (laughs) On other occasions, some of his men would actually dress in women's clothes and walk through the woods like bait. None of it ever worked. I was going to say that, no. At this point, the newspapers had started describing the beast as bloodthirsty, going as far to say that it was drinking the victim's blood from its necks, from their necks. So, vampirish. Yeah. When Duhamel got news of a sighting, it said that he gathered his men and rode off to find the creature, and when he and his men found it in a field, they opened fire. It hit the creature and knocked it over, but it didn't kill it. It just got back up. Mm -hmm. They kept firing, but... It just ran. They tracked it through the forest, and when they spotted it, they fired again. This time, it fell to the ground and didn't move. But when they went to retrieve its body, it was gone. Magic. So magic. The fear of the creature was so prevalent in Jevedon that hearing news of Duhamel's failure to kill it only exacerbated the rumors that it was a supernatural being. Mm -hmm. Meaning it was immune to any and all weapons. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Then two days later, more victims were discovered over three miles away. The day after that, miles in another direction, the body of a young girl was found outside her family's barn. This made it seem like the beast of Chevadon could could seemingly attack people, multiple people, in one day, twenty miles apart. 
So not only could it not be killed, it was also ridiculously fast, which left people feeling like there was no hope. So more and more rumors spread, changing what it was said to look like. Originally, it was described as like a wolf-like animal, but big as a donkey. Uh, lean oh, that's frame. huge. Yeah. Capable of taking great strides. It was said that its head was similar to like a greyhound, mm-hmm. like with flat snout, pointed ears, and a wide mouth, and, like a really broad chest. The tail was also supposed to be longer than a wolf's with a tuft at the end, and it was supposed to move like a cat's. Longer than a wolf's, but with a tuft. Yeah. So like lion? Like a lion. Okay. Yeah. Um, the fur was also described as reddish brown with dark stripes down the back. And it didn't howl like a wolf, but it sounded more like a horse neighing. Hyena? Well, when these rumors spread, some said that the beast didn't have paws, but hooves or talons. And others suggested that the creature could walk on water, while others said they heard the thing laugh and speak. So the Antichrist <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Is that the description of the Antichrist you've heard? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, walking on water, cloven hooves, his feet. It sounds like a weird mixture of Jesus. It's Jesus and Satan. Yep. Um, That's what I assume the Antichrist is. Fanfic? Are we writing fanfic? <laughs> We're right writing now? a fanfic right, here. TM, TM, guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> we're we're writing this we're releasing it it's coming out (laughs) so descriptions of the attacks were becoming less and less similar it decapitated some but others were like just scalped or got away with scratch yeah some had their hearts removed and others were completely disemboweled and then in january of 1765 seven boys from jevedon about like 12, 11 years old in that age mm-hmm. range, were playing near the woods, and while they were out there, a creature ran out from the forest and dragged one of the boys back into the trees. Terrified, most of them ran off except for one. Yeah. His name was Jacques Portefeuille. He ran back into the... He ran into the woods after his friend and the wolf creature mm-hmm. and found the creature and his friend... He picked up a sharp branch and stepped between the beast and his friend and swung at it, hitting the creature in the he- on the head and driving it away. Lucky. Yeah. So, story of that spread so far, it led to a mass panic and led to local markets shutting down out of fear, and farmers were too afraid to go out and work in their fields. Oh, that yeah. is really not good, especially for a farming community. Yeah, especially because, like... All the people who live in this area, they all have to work in the fields yeah. with their cattle. Like, they, I mean, you have to. It's not just the men, it's the women and children. And it's not like they could take a day off. It's literally their livelihoods. Yeah. But they were terrified, so they were going to do it. They were so. terrified, so they were taking a day off if they had to. Yep. This is when King Louis XV decided he needed to intervene. He called for hunters with the experience to track down the beast and offered up money. So much money. It was the equivalent of what most men would make in a year. Alrighty. So we're going to go hunt down a beast. Yeah. Lots of hunters arrived in Jevedon that spring, but not really a lot was accomplished over the next like three or four months. There was so much fear from the locals who were like basically pushing back against all the hunters that were coming into their area. Yeah. Not to mention all of the ego, like, from all of the hunters. Oh, the ego. Okay. Yeah, yeah. all of their egos were, they were all trying to oppress the king so they can get that money. Mm-hmm. So, nothing really happened. <laughs> Captain Duhamel got crazy with it. Yeah. So, this woman had recently been killed by the beast, and Duhamel stopped the family from burying her. He, um begged the family to let him have her body for a day. They agreed and <sighs> I can't. He basically took her body to use as bait because he thought that the creature would come back and try to finish the job and eat the rest of her body. Mhm. It didn't work. No, of course not. 
Because the way that this sounds is the creature's not eating. It sounds like it's only like eating because some reports said that it was like eating like hearts, hearts and like disemboweling people. But also it was like ripping out people's throats and mm-hmm. drinking their blood mm-hmm. and eating some of their head meat. First of all, rest kind of meat to eat. Right. Like, what are you going to get? Some cheek? <laughs> Come on. Anyway. A little bit of brain there. Yeah. A woman named Marie-Jeanne Vallée had left home one morning to work in the fields, and on her way there, she came face to face with a beast. Oh, no. She claimed that the beast walked toward her on its hind legs, Oh Jesus. its eyes almost seeming to glow. She brought the spear up as the beast launched towards her and stabbed it directly in the chest. Good. It stumbled back and fell into the river. And that's when Marie-Jeanne ran back to her village and told the others, who rushed out to collect the body, mm-hmm. obviously. But when they got there, it was gone. That spear did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the very next day, the creature was spotted outside another nearby village. King Louis had basically, like, reached his limit. He called upon his gun bearer, a man named Francois Antoine. He was the king's personal game master. So uh-huh. they thought, if anybody can kill the beast, it'd be him. Yeah. So he was sent to Gévaudan in June of 1765. In the next few months, Antoine and his hunting party explored the region, mapped the area, spoke with witnesses, and they finally managed to spot the beast in September on September 21st, and they managed to ambush it. They shot at the beast and managed to knock it down. And one of the hunters managed to put a bullet right through one of the beast's eyes, and it died. Did they still have the body? Yeah. Good. And Antoine had the creature examined, and yeah, it was a wolf. Oh. An enormous wolf. Don't get me wrong. It was, it like was six a dire feet. wolf. <laughs> it was six feet long, oh. three feet tall, and weighed about 130 pounds. Eh. It's like a very tall man. I was just I was looking over here. Mm, three feet, yep. Mm, yeah. Maybe a little, a little shorter. I, I would say, like, three feet seems a bit short, right? Yeah. I mean, my dog is that tall. Right. Or maybe I'm just used to big dogs. Uh-uh. I mean, yeah. Yeah, your dogs are huge. Yeah. Um, but the animal's stomach didn't have any human remains in it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't walk on its hind legs towards any of them. Despite this, he had the wolf stuffed and brought it back to Versailles and gave it to the king. Dumbass. The king... Yeah. The king rewarded him handsomely, allowing him to retire with a wealthy pension and presented him with a dignified cross of the Order of St. Louis. He even gave Antoine permission to add the image of the beast to his own coat of arms. Hmm. Yeah. However, in September of 1765, a girl went missing from the town of Marciac. Then a woman from a nearby village went missing, too. When... (laughs) That woman's severed hands were later discovered. The people of Gévaudan realized that they hadn't gotten the help they needed. Well, no kidding. Yeah. At Just the someone who won the money. Right. At the beginning of 1766, attacks and sightings were reported almost every single day. Mm-hmm. But no one was left to defend them. All of those hunters had gone home because King Louis had gotten his beast, so the courts no longer cared. Yeah. For over a year, they were left to defend themselves. Left on their own. (laughs) To defend themselves, yeah. For over a year, they were left on their own to defend themselves. In six months, between January and June of 1767, between 15 to 30 people were killed. (sighs) Yeah. So in June, (laughs) it's so so many. That is a lot. Yeah. But, mm. So in June of 1767, Jean Chastel, a 16-year-old peasant farmer from Montmouchet, heard that the beast had been sighted in a clearing nearby, so he went to see if he could help. But before he did, Chastel visited his priest for a blessing, taking any advantage he could get. He also asked the priest to bless a pair of silver bullets, something Mm -hmm. nobody else had tried up until that point. Yeah. He then went to where the beast had last been seen and set up camp in the trees. When the animal came out into the clearing, Chastel set his aim and fired, but he missed (laughs) God. Yeah, the beast charged toward him, which is super weird because normally they would run, right? Yeah. So he aimed for the creature again and whispered a prayer and then fired. The bullet struck the beast and it fell to the ground dead. He also had the creature examined. What was it? A wolf. wolf. 
But when his, when its stomach was examined, they supposedly found the body of a little girl. So, wolf with some sort of disease. I'll get into theories in a okay. second. <laughs> but I was like, with the body of a little girl in it. Like, can you say Little Red Riding Hood, anybody? Uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, this was actually good news to the people of Jevedon because they had finally found the creature that had been terrorizing them for years. And that's when the attacks basically stopped. Except for the regular wolf attacks that continue happening. Well, but, like, yeah. they killed so... They continued to kill so many wolves, wolves after that that they eventually had to put them on an endangered uh, animal list, which is why they're now protected. Mm-hmm. So. I bet you it was that... Um, what is that one fungal disease get it, that get inside um, animal brains? It makes them pretty much go mad. Like mad cow disease. Rabies? Other than rabies. There's I like another one. I don't know. I don't know. But, so, people have theorized that it could have been a hyena or a hybrid of some sort. Uh, others think it might have been a young male lion that escaped from a menagerie. Because people in the area wouldn't have seen a lion, a lion. before. Yeah. That and, like, if it was younger, it would still be pretty large, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't be, like... And it would have those odd markings. Right. Yeah. That's why it would, ha- it would have those lines on its back still. So, um, another theory was that it was just a pack of wild wolves combined with mass hysteria. That, too. Another hypothe- hypothesis is that it was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Or a domesticated beast. Antoine Chastel, the son of the official beast killer, lived in Montmouchet with apparently domesticated hyenas and other similar animals. Yeah. Okay. Antoine mysteriously disappeared after his father had killed the beast. Yeah. Oh. Another thing to lend itself to the theory that it was a serial killer was that apparently several of the local reports mentioned wounds carefully made with knives and definitely not animal claws. Mm-hmm. So, it could have been both uh, wolves and a serial killer. Yeah. I'm just saying. Or um, a serial killer and wolves got the leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the popular supernatural theory is that it's werewolves. Yeah. Werewolves. Werewolves. Totally werewolves. Um, or one of the one of the interesting theories is that it's a um, I it's like manure de loup. It's magical wolf whisperers, or leaders of wolves, who can command wolves to do their bidding through magic. And that was the Beast of Shivadon. <laughs> so, like, no, so, like, okay, you remember the Skinwalker episode where there was the people who were controlling the Skinwalkers or whatever? Or which, what, what, what was that? I thought that was the Skinwalkers. Well, no, Skinwalkers are, um... I can't remember what I'm thinking of now. I don't know either. Oh, jeez. Whatever. We'll get into it. Or something was, was, um. It was something with someone controlling something. It wasn't the Tulpa episode. It was one of the stories you did. One of the stories I did. Chenekis. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Tulpas? I didn't think it was the Tulpas, though. I guess maybe it might have been. I don't know. I think it might have been, um, Maine Wolves. Oh, Maine, yeah. I would agree. Because they do have those pretty markings, too. Yeah. Are those? Do they have those there? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna say that doesn't sound right. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that they had a resolve. Kind of, yeah. Kind but of. people still today don't know what it actually was. Was yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I didn't even tell the best part of that story. I didn't write it down. I don't know why I didn't write it down. I'm so mad at myself for this. Okay, so Chastel, he went to take the creature. He he got it examined and stuffed. Yeah. Embalmed. Whatever. He went to take it to Versailles to the king. Yeah. But before he could even reach Versailles, the thing started decomposing because it had been embalmed incorrectly. (gasps) No. Yeah. So they literally had to stop on the side of the road and burn it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I forgot all about that. I don't know why I didn't write that down. But yeah. After the fact. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. That is okay. So. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. We are once again asking you to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> uh, <sighs> thanks so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Bye. We're bye.